privilege to be with you this morning, but uh, before we open up the scriptures, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, precious Son, and sanctifying Spirit, we are so thankful that we could come together as a body to worship you, to worship you through song, to worship you through prayer, to worship through your word. And Lord, as we come now to hear from your word and what you have spoken, we pray and ask for guidance. We pray and ask that by your spirit you would open our hearts and our minds to understand what it is that you have spoken. Lord, and we pray that we would seek to diligently uh, listen and apply your word. And Lord, we pray that Christ would be seen as all-sufficient and beautiful in your word. Lord, and we ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 6 specifically will be the text we will be in this morning. The book of Psalms is towards the middle of your Bibles. Um, Psalm chapter 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. For those of you who have ever, ever gone hiking or backpacking or on a long-distance journey, um, I mean, even nowadays, most people use some sort of GPS or map to get from one destination to another. We know the importance of having a sense of direction, having that guidance that orients us to where we're going and how we're going to get there and the, and the twists and turns that may come along the way. Um, and those of you may also realize the danger and what happens when we don't have those things, um, which uh, a story in my life quite clearly evidences that. Um, a number of years ago, I was with a friend at Hawk Mountain, and we had climbed the mountain and were looking out over the horizon to see just the beautiful creation that God had created. And this was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was a trail that went down the other side of the mountain. And we, not knowing how long this trail was, not knowing how difficult it was, not knowing how long it would take us to get, decided, hey, let's give this a shot and see what happens. With no flashlights, nothing. So needless to say, and some of you who have been hiking or backpacking, the red flags are going up already. <laughs> and so we're going, and we're walking, and and. You know, we're in the middle of the woods, and the hours are going by. It's you know, before we know it, it's five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, and it's 
my fears are starting to set in. Of it's going to get dark soon. We're in the middle of the woods. There, we may have to stay here. There's bears here. Um, why did we do this? And before we know it, it's the it's nighttime and the darkness is there. And and I'm just thinking, oh, how long are we going to be here? How long? When is this going to end? Um, and we're trying to navigate using our flashlight, well, our phones as flashlights. Um, but needless to say, we did make it back to the road and then up to our parking lot at 11:30 at night. Now, granted, we had left, we had begun this trail at four o'clock, so at 11:30 we finally make it back. Um, but during that time, there was some real sense of, of fear and of of not knowing how long we're going to be stuck in these woods. Um, And as we turn to the book of Psalms, um, we really see the psalmist have a sense of of guidance, of a direction that orients them through their experiences, whether that's in the midst of deep pain and sorrow, as we'll see in today's psalm, or it's in the midst of praise. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind of, of what is controlling the gaze and direction of what, when the psalmist is writing. Now, when we turn to the book of Psalms, the Psalms are one of the most beloved books uh, throughout church history, uh, throughout even the New Testament and even the Old Testament. Um, they were known as the songbook of God's people. Uh, the Jews would have used the Psalms as their own hymn book. Um, and I'm sure some of you have seen those uh, little books that are made up of the New Testament and then the Psalms and the Proverbs. Um, people love the Psalms. And, and I will be honest, I am guilty of this as well. I'm, all you'd have to do is ask my fiance what my favorite book of the Old Testament is, and I bet you can guess what that is. Um, but people have loved the Psalms throughout church history. Um, and as we look at the Psalms specifically, it's important to get the history behind what is going on in the Psalms. As uh, Pastor Joel is going through Acts, we see the historical situations that give rise to uh, Paul's journeys and Peter. And then the same with uh, when Scott was going through Galatians. We saw the historical uh, backdrop that gave rise to Paul writing. So when we turn to the book of Psalms, we actually find that Psalms are an interesting book in and of themselves because for one, there's multiple authors. There's 150 of these of these individual units that are made up of uh, multiple authors, um, and that can range over hundreds of years. With Psalm 90 dating to the time of Moses, and then a psalm such as Psalm 126, which has a uh, post-exile date. So what's fascinating about the Book of Psalms is that the history behind them is really the history of the nation of Israel, and we get little glimpses and windows where we can peer into the lives of the psalmist as they're ex- experiencing all these different emotions. And when we look at the psalms specifically of what kind of books they are, we see that, for one, they're uh, categorized as Hebrew poetry. And there's multiple different types of psalms. There's psalms of lament. There's psalms of thanksgiving. There's psalms of praise. There's penitential psalms. So we see all of these psalms, and each one is designed to communicate a certain level of emotions, whether that's deep pain and sorrow and crying out to God, or it's unspeakable joy and thanksgiving to God for what he has done. Um, And what's 
really unique about the book of Psalms is that it helps provide us with the language of divinely inspired vocabulary, in a sense, to express our emotions, to express our, our fears, our joys when we're sad. Um, and that, that really helps us relate to the book of Psalms. We, we can understand what the psalmist is going through. But what's most beautiful about the book of Psalms, and we'll see this as we, as we dig into Psalm 6 specifically, is that the psalms point to Christ. The psalms are about Christ. And we see, we gain little windows into the life of Christ when we look at the psalms. And we'll see that today. Now as we turn to the book of Psalm, uh, psalm 6 specifically, we're not given the exact historical situation of what caused David to write this psalm, such as a psalm like Psalm 51, where we're told that uh, after the prophet Nathan had came to David to confront him about his sin with Bathsheba, um, and, and that gave rise to the writing. But in Psalm 6, we're not given the exact situation. But as we look at the text itself, there are several indicators that may help us recognize and identify what David was going through. Perhaps it was some sort of sin that he may have committed, maybe even a sin out of ignorance that he didn't realize, or some sort of sickness that he was experiencing, or even um, the oppression of his enemies. But we don't know the exact situation. But in a sense, that could actually help us, help the reader as we come to the book of Psalms, because while we may not know the exact situation, we, it helps us enter into the world of this psalm. And so when we face trials, we face different uh, circumstances, we can repeat these words of David and express that emotion to God. And it really does help us enter into the world of that psalm. Now, Psalm 6 is specifically categorized as a psalm of lament. And there are certain characteristics of lament psalms. Um, Usually, it's a, the psalmist is, is crying out to God in some sort of situation. He's pleading towards God for, for deliverance, for mercy. Um, and then there's usually a turning point in the psalm of going from uh, the psalmist's cry for mercy to the exaltation and praise of God. And Psalm 6 follows that pattern quite, quite nicely. If we look at the, the outline, verses 1 through 7 are David's plea to God. He's crying out to God for, for deliverance, to heal him, to be merciful to him. And then uh, verses 8 through 10 are David's praise to God, his confidence in God, that God will hear his cry, that God will be merciful to him. Um, and as we get into the, the text specifically, we'll see certain themes that arise. And one of the, those first themes that we see arise is in verse 1. We see that David's, the psalm begins with David's plea, his cry for mercy as he writes, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Now David, he, he may not know if he's being punished here. He may not know if it's, it's a form of discipline but one thing he realizes that comes to the forefront of his mind is the wrath of God. He says, Lord, do not discipline me in your wrath. David fears the wrath of God. He recognizes that first and foremost, 
that his primary concern is not sickness or his enemies, although those are genuine concerns that he has, but his primary concern is the wrath of God. And he's, he's honest. He recognizes the wrath of God is real. And this is, this is something that um, nowadays we don't really talk about. We don't mention it a lot. It's, it's uncomfortable to talk about. But David is honest. David is honest about this. And he says, no, the wrath of God is, is revealed. It's a serious thing. David knew that to sin against a holy and righteous God was to rightly incur his wrath. But he also knew that there was no other place for refuge, there was no other place for shelter, but to go to God himself. And so we see him in verse 2, crying out to God, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. He's honest about his sin. He recognizes that, and he, he, he does not try to uh, justify himself in his self-righteousness, but he pleads the mercy of God, similar to the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. When the tax collector comes to the temple to worship and he hangs his head, he can't even look up to God, but he merely beats his chest and says, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. And we see David reflecting that same attitude here. Um, but there's also another theme uh, that's, that's introduced here where we could possibly see some of the historical context that David may have been suffering from an illness. Notice um, the second half of verse 2 when he says, Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. He's, he's, it's apparent that some, he may have been suffering from some sort of illness that he asks God to hear him. But notice something here. The mention when David sends, says, For my bones are in agony. The mention of the bones there is designed to really indicate how severe this is, that this is, this is no mere light affliction that David is facing, but this is something that, that his bones are in agony, something that goes to his very core, and he cries out to God. And if that, if that wasn't bad enough that, that we see, the next verse even intensifies that language. Where he says in verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. So if it wasn't bad enough that David's bones were in anguish, now he intensifies that by saying, my soul, the very core of my being, is in deep anguish. And he cries out, how long, Lord? How long? And, and that second statement there almost, almost seems to be like it's cut off. Like in the midst of... David crying out to God. He goes, Lord, how long am I going to be in this, in this pain, in this agony? It may seem like it, it never ends. And for some of us, we, we may know what that, what that feels like. We may know if we've ever had a serious sickness where we're just hospitalized and we're laying on a bed and we just wonder, how long is this going to last? Or, or we're waiting for the news of a loved one to see how they're doing, and we just are sitting there just waiting and saying, Lord, how long? How long is this going to last? David cries out to God in that midst, but there's something interesting about this verse specifically. Remember how earlier I had said that the Psalms themselves give us, give us a window into the life of Christ. Well, it's this psalm, this, this verse right here, 
where if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, and then starting at verse 27. Now, it's interesting to note that some translators will translate this verse 3 that uh, our, the NIV renders it, my soul is in deep anguish. Some translators will translate that, that my soul is deeply troubled. And if we look at John chapter 12, notice this, starting at verse 27. This is uh, Christ at the end of his public ministry, as John records it. Um, he knows what is coming, that he is going to Calvary uh, to bear the, the wrath of God. And Christ, in his, in his uh, situation, cries out, uh, John 12, 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Christ is facing his own death. He knows what is coming. He knows that he will bear the full wrath of God for his people. And he cries out to God that his soul was deeply troubled. Just as David had done hundreds of years before, crying out to God, those, li- those uh, words are echoed on the lips of Christ. He too cried out to God. And we'll, we'll, we'll see the, uh, the conclusion. Uh, I mean, we already know what happened after this, that uh, Christ did go to Calvary, suffer, and die, but was raised again, and that uh, for his people. But as we'll, we return to the Psalms, um, we see next that David's, there's a request from David to the Lord, starting in verse 4, where he asks, Turn, Lord, and deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. David, if he indeed had sinned, he, he senses that God's presence had been, had been withdrawn from him, and he wanted that back, so he pleads with God, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Turn back. Um, and notice something here, too. Again, David does not try and plead his own righteousness. He doesn't try and plead um, anything that he's done, but he, he remarks uh, the second half of verse 4, save me because of your unfailing love. He pleads God's, God's mercy yet again. And even as um, Charles Spurgeon had noted, he knew his iniquity too well to think of merit or appeal to anything but the grace of God. David knew that if he indeed had sinned, that he could not stand before him on his own merit. And even as a later psalm in Psalm 130 remarks, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the short answer to that is no one. And David recognizes, David sees that, and so he, he throws himself completely on the mercy of God. And again, verse 5, we see a, a unique statement by David. It's almost as if he's providing a reason why God should deliver him, where he writes, Oh, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? In a sense, David's saying, Lord, if I die, I can't praise you. And he, he feels as if this affliction may even end in his death, and he's pleading with God, Lord, please deliver me. I, I, I want to praise you, but if I die, I can't do that. And David wants to stand in the congregation of God's people and, and praise him for his deliverance as he 
had done so many times where, where David was delivered. Um, and notice something important about this psalm so far. Notice how many times David has called upon the name of the Lord. In the, in the first four verses, he's called, he's called upon God five times. And if you look in your uh, Bibles at, at the word that's translated there, it's, uh, if you look, at, it says LORD in all caps. Now, the, the reason why LORD is all caps is that's, that's a translational uh, mechanism that translators will use to try and communicate um, what name is that, uh, of the Lord that God is uh, communicating there. And this, this is the name of Yahweh. This is God's covenant name. This is God's promise-keeping name that David is crying out to, that David recognizes that God will hear his cry because God is a God who keeps his covenant with his people. And David recognized that, so he pleads the name Yahweh. And it's in this that, that we see another important theme, that his trials push him to God. His trials, in the midst of his deep pain and affliction, he runs to God. And we see the, the connection here with uh, the passage that was read earlier in the service with, in 2 Corinthians 1, um, specifically verse 9, when Paul writes, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And what, what Paul is communicating there is just a truth that David had written about and reflected on hundreds of years before him that his trials push him to God. They're designed that we rely on God. But what do we see in our culture now when, when trials come, when suffering comes? What, what do people tend to rely on for, for comfort? Uh, whether it's such things as, as drugs or alcohol or even material possessions that uh, will just accumulate more and more and think that that will somehow give us comfort. Or even ourselves, we'll, we'll turn, when trials come, we'll turn in to ourselves and you know, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and you know, we can press through on our own strength. But what David is trying to communicate in the psalm is, is, is the opposite of that. He says, no, when, when trials come, when suffering comes, we, we must flee to God alone. And then next, in, in verse 6, we see just uh, a more expounding upon David's emotions and what he's, what he's feeling when he writes, I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. David, he, he's communicating. He's just, he is physically exhausted. He is physically worn out from his weeping and his groaning. And again, if, if, if he, David recognized that he had sinned against God, his ultimate, his sorrow was ultimately over his sin before a holy God. And so he, the language that's used here is, is designed to express the, the depth of the pain and sorrow that David experienced. And even as, as Matthew Henry has, has commented, sorrow for sin ought to be great sorrow. So David's was. He wept so bitterly, so abundantly, that he watered his couch. see the magnitude and depth of, of David's his emotions, his pain, 
Um, some commentators even note that the language that's used here when it says, all night long I flood my bed with weeping, that it's designed to really communicate that he's almost swimming in his tears, that you see the, the sheer level of emotion and pain that he's experiencing, that he's almost swimming in his tears. And I'm sure there's some, of, some people here that we've, we've experienced that great pain. We've experienced what, it, what it's like that we are just worn out from whatever it is that we're going through, um, that we just, again, we, we water and drench our couch with tears. I'm sure there's some people in here who have known what that pain is like. And David, David knows what that's like too. And I think that that's, he communicates that here. But again, if, if that wasn't bad enough, Again, we, we, we're kind of seeing the intensity of David's experience. And it's in verse 7 that we really see another factor introduced, that David is also concerned for the, the attacks of his foes, uh, where he says, My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. I mean, if it wasn't bad enough that David, if he indeed had sinned and was feeling the sickness, but now his, there's enemies, there's oppression that he's facing, when, when will this end? Uh, and, and again, his, and it's not given in detail exactly what his enemies may have been doing. They could have been tormenting him. Uh, they could have been mocking him, taunting him if he had sinned, um, trying to make him feel guilty that uh, his sin against God. Um, but this, this, this is the point in the psalm where we see a, a, a radical shift in David's demeanor, a radical shift in what David is, is experiencing. This is the turning point from David's cry and his plea to the praise and worship that David gives, where he writes in verse 8, Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. David knew that God would would hear his cry. He knew that his sins had been forgiven in the mercy and grace of the Lord. And so he, he cries out and he praises God for that. And notice something here where he says, away from me, all you who do evil. How is it, how is it that David could confront his enemies who the verse before, he, he was languishing over the, the, his foes. The reason why he could confront his enemies was that the Lord had heard his weeping, that was where David drew his confidence and his strength from. And again, we see there's a high mention of the name of the Lord here. We see in, in verse 8, um, Away from me, all you do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Again, there's, there's this high mention of Yahweh, that David is, is, is recollecting that God is a God who keeps his covenant, who keeps his promises with his people. And David is assured that the Lord uh, will and has heard his prayer. When he writes in verse 9, The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. God, he's assured that God will sustain him through the, whatever he's going through. And David will take refuge in God and his enemies will not. And there's, there's an important theme here that we see 
that I think this psalm really communicates most assuredly, and that, that is that God hears the cries of his people. And just as, just as God had heard the cries of his people in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and I'll, I'll read a brief section here. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So just as God had, had seen and heard the cries of his people in Egypt and has indeed delivered them from the, from the oppression of the Egyptians, so too with David. God had seen his cry. And even with us, God has seen our cries and has liberated us from our bondage to sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to the, the conclusion of, of the psalm, we notice something that happens in verse 10. There, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, of reversal that happens here that David um, notes that in the beginning it was, it was him that was in deep anguish. But now in verse 10 we see that it is David's enemies that will be in deep anguish and shame where, it write, where David writes, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. There's a certain reversal that happens here where it was the beginning of the psalm, it was David that was in deep anguish. But now at the end, it is his enemies that will be in deep anguish. Because the wicked do not take shelter in Christ, their shame will not be taken from them. David reflected upon that. And what great pain David experienced in this psalm. But what great confidence he had in the God who keeps his covenant the God who hears the cries of his people. That is such a, a, a beautiful truth. That is, that is good news, that God hears the cries of his people. Now I'd like to uh, conclude with the story of Horatio Spafford, who I think uh, evidences this as, as well, who, someone who went through great trials, but cried out to God and expressed his pain and knew that God would hear him. And for those, of, for those of you who may not know who Horatio Spafford is, he's the author of um, that well-known hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, which some of you may have noticed is the song that we are concluding our service with. Um, but Horatio Spafford lived during the 1800s. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer who had a, a very thriving practice. He had a great home, a wife, uh, four daughters, one son, um, but at the height of his success in his legal affairs, he had, uh, they had tragically lost their son. And then on October 8, 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every real estate investment that he had. So first he lost his son, and now most of his investments had been destroyed it was in 1873 that he scheduled a much-needed boat trip to Europe 
with his family for a much-needed vacation. And he had sent his wife and daughters ahead of him to attend to some last-minute business that had come up right before the trip. But it was days later that he had received uh, a letter stating that his family's ship had been in a collision and all four of his daughters had drowned. He had lost now his son, then his investments, and now all four of his daughters were gone. And it was with this news that he boarded a ship to meet his grieving wife in England. And it was on that that voyage that he penned the words to that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and when we, we understand some of that historical background, it's, we see some of the words, such as when sorrows like sea billows roll. And we understand that as he's writing this, he's, he's on a, a ship, and the waves are crashing in one after another, and he's experienced just sorrow after sorrow. But yet, he's able to pen these words of great assurance, though Satan should buffet Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. That is great news. Spafford, just like David before him, cried out to God in the midst of his pain and his sorrow and was assured that God would be faithful and that God would hear his cries. And we too, we can cry out to God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our sorrow. We can confess our pain to him, we can confess our sorrows, we can confess our sins, and not only to him but to one another, to bear with the burdens that we each face. When we face trials and suffering in this life, we too can cry to God for mercy and be assured that he will and does hear the cries of his people and has not left us in our sin and misery. And that is evidenced most clearly in the work and person of his son, Jesus Christ, on behalf of sinners like you and like me. Just as David had wrote in Psalm 6, in verse 3, that he was greatly troubled in his soul, those words are found echoed on the lips of Christ in John 12 that he too was greatly troubled in his soul before the work on Calvary to redeem fallen sinners like you and I. And that the blessed assurance of that, and I'll conclude with the words of, of J.B. Fesco commenting on this, that Christ was greatly troubled in his soul so that we would not have to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for inspiring David to write it, that we see that in the midst of of deep pain and sorrow, that we can cry out to you and that you have not left us in our sin, but have guarded our helpless estate and sent Christ to shed his blood for us. That, that is good news. That is something that we can take comfort in. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God, 
that you keep your promises to your people and that we can trust in that. Lord, we, we pray and ask that you would apply these truths to our lives, that, um, that we would know that Christ was troubled in his soul for us, that we will have eternal life with you. We thank you and we praise you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.